Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Indy Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Notre Dame spring football wrapped up on Saturday with a defensive-minded blue-gold game. Quarterbacks Jack Cohn, Drew Pine, and Tyler Buckner all had a share of highlights. Each of them were under pressure pretty consistently and turned the ball over to the quarterback competition between those guys. Uh, will continue into the summer and maybe into preseason camp in August. Uh, to discuss where the Irish go from here, we brought on our favorite quarterback guest, Brady Quinn. Brady, thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to be on. Go Irish. Um, obviously, a lot of a lot of change there in South Bend, at least on the offensive side of the football. That's right. Brady, before we dive into to Notre Dame's outlook going into next season, I wanted to talk a little bit about Ian Book. Uh, what did you think of him getting drafted in the fourth round by the Saints and the opportunity that he has there? You know, it's funny. Uh, I was doing uh, Albert Breer's podcast. This is probably a week or two ago. And I, and I, and I work for multiple platforms, um, but mostly for CBS's digital platform, doing a lot of draft work, NFL work leading up to it. And I kept telling Pete Prisco, I kept telling all these different people, I said, you watch and see. I was like, this young man's going to get drafted a lot higher than, than people realize. You know, he's accurate. He's a good decision maker. He's smart. He's tough. He checks every box. And, and, then, and another thing that I think you almost have to have nowadays that clearly he possesses is the ability to create. You know, if something's not there, he can hurt you with his legs. He's a legitimate threat as a runner. He's crafty like that. And I just, you know, going into the draft, watching tape of him, obviously, throughout the course of his career and, you know, and knowing him a little bit, too. And maybe that's where some of the bias comes from. But in comparison to even some of the other quarterbacks, I, I just kind of kept saying to myself, I see this young man having a much better opportunity of getting drafted and then having a shot in the NFL with the right situation and circumstance. And he is, couldn't be in a better spot than the New Orleans Saints. Um, as far as the organization, Sean Payton as a play caller, how he builds to the strengths of his quarterback. And I also think he loves – he probably loves the fact that people – you know, people had maybe mixed opinions on Ian. He probably loves the fact that he's found a guy who can operate no doubt uh, within what he wants to do within their offense. I mean, Brady, what what would be a realistic rookie year for him? Just kind of learning uh, from the other quarterbacks and and learning the NFL, or I mean, is there a chance he could compete for something bigger than that? I think there's a chance he could compete for the chance to play. And what I mean by that is this: because they've got such a unique quarterback room in New Orleans with a guy like Taysom Hill who could be the starter or he could end up being a guy who's going to play more multiple roles on offense because he's kind of a dynamic playmaker as a tight end, wide receiver, running back, and then even obviously special teams, he plays an impact. So that's the hard part is if Jameis Winston, for example, who I would I would say I would give the nod to, I'd be surprised if he wasn't the guy to start the season just as far as his throwing ability – um, and how he should fit within the offense has already been there a year. He, to me, would make the most sense to be the guy going into it. But then if you've got Taysom Hill in this other role where he's got to play special teams and offense and all this other stuff, 
you know, Ian could end up being the backup. So if anything happened to Jameis in that game, it could be Ian coming in. And if he does well enough in that opportunity, maybe depending on the injury or how long Jameis would be out, he would get to keep that spot. Heck, maybe if he impresses well enough, you know, they keep Taysom in that role and Ian stays in as the guy if Jameis doesn't play well, right? He's got a propensity to turn the football over. That's something that Ian's not going to do, right? Like we've watched him throughout his career. He's a great decision maker. Uh, I would say he's conservative, if anything, with the football. So it's almost the polar opposite of what you have in Jameis. So I actually think in that scenario, it could work out really, really well for him to not necessarily have to go in right away, but potentially get the chance to go in. Um, ideally, though, I would say, I mean, the tough thing is, is if Jameis, because both Jameis and Taysom are essentially on like a one-year deal, if you really look at the structure of the contract, or at least Taysom's. So if they go in and they play well and he's sitting watching, he's probably not going to get the nod in 2022 or have a chance to legitimately compete. It would take things not going well this year for him to get a chance to go in and play. So ideally, you know, he would sit for half the season and be able to learn and watch. And, and the reason why I, I, I say that is because it is such a different game. It really is. And when you look at the type of offense you're asked to play with in the NFL – it's based upon timing, rhythm, anticipation, all things that aren't as prevalent at the college football level. And the reason being is, is, is partially this. So you have the hashes, right? In, in college football, they're a lot wider. And so what that means is you're going to be re more reliant on that single receiver at times or the field. And in, in the NFL, the ball is more in the middle of the field. So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of more times when you're reading defenses, you actually have to read and understand the coverage, the defense, everything else. In college, you'll hear the phrase, you know, look for green grass or, or, look, or, or look for space, right? You hear that oftentimes, whether it's, you know, a, you know, a color analysis during games, you hear coaches talk about it at times, but it's not as important to be able to read through a progression or read what the defense is doing. It's more important to kind of see, this, see open space and then see the guy who's kind of running to that space because many defenses play a field and boundary. In the NFL, they don't play field and boundary. It's not like that at all. So it's a big transition from the way you see the field. And even as a quarterback, when you're looking at the field in college, usually pre-snap, you're looking and saying, okay, if the safeties are near the hashes, they're so wide, you're thinking of some sort of split safety coverage, right? Cover two, cover four, quarter, quarter, half, depending on what your system calls that cover eight. Some people call it, some people call it cover six, whatever. But the, the, the reality is in college, you're thinking safety near hash, thinking split safety. In, in NFL, safety near hash, you're thinking uh, post-safety. One high safety, middle field close, all different terms you're going to hear. So you got to flip your thinking, but you're also going to be introduced to a different way of looking at how you go about actually, you know, reading and playing the game. It's very much matchup oriented. It's very much understanding pre-snap as good as you possibly can because the game is so much faster after the snap of the football that you've got to be even more precise. And that takes time. That takes reps. That takes experience. It takes time to then be able to know what you're seeing pre-snap. And if you get fooled or see something else, you've got to be able to think, react fast to get either to a different portion of your progression, something else, or make a play in that moment. Brady, let's shift to the guys Notre Dame has on its roster right now. Jack Cohn came in as the grad transfer from Wisconsin. Um, and I would say he's the favorite to win the starting job in the fall. What, what are the challenges that a, a guy like that has to, has to sort of battle through um, to sort of win over the team and win over that starting job in, in just less than a year? I think it's different than it used to be with grad transfers or transfers in general. I, I think it's such more of a fluid situation now with the way the transfer portal is. I, I think players are more open to a guy coming in right away and being able to help out their football team. You know, I, I really feel like they're more open to that, whereas maybe in the past it was so rare and so different. You almost had to build that equity or build that, relationship with your teammates in the locker room first or off the field before they can really trust you on it. I, I don't know that that's as big of a part of it anymore. I think guys now look and say, if you can come in and do your job and help us win football games, that's all we really care about. And it's almost a pro mindset in that sense. So for Jack, I mean, look, he's, he's got an edge on the other guys because he's played. And I think the, the biggest thing that he's got to overcome is he's got to develop chemistry while he's dealing with the quarterback competition. So it's not like he's getting all the reps. The other guys are just sharing reps too. And they've, you know, at least in the, in the sense, Drew Pine, he's been in the system. He's been with these guys. So he's going to have a better feel for all of it and how it should look, how it should be. Now, the, di the difference is 
is once, you know, you get into training camp where things pick up a little bit more in spring ball and you start scrimmaging, you start doing these live, you know, scenarios, Jack's experience should be able to take over. Not only his, you know, in that moment, be able to make a play when things break down or things aren't right, but also decision-making and, and then, you know, really just handling the pressure. Um, you know, I think that's something where, again, the more, the more you experience, the more you play, the better you are at handling it. So Jack's going to have the edge. Um, interesting thing about him was, you know, when I was back calling games for Fox in 2018, he, I believe, had his first start in Evanston in North, versus Northwestern. And I don't believe it was a good game. And, and Eric and Tyler, you guys can back me up and look at the stats to see. But, you know, talking to the coaching staff before the game, they were really excited to see what he was capable of. They loved his work ethic. They loved his demeanor. Uh, I believe he was a multi-sport athlete. Um, they, they felt like he had a little bit of more ability to run and take off and make something right uh, than I believe Alex Hornibrook, who was the quarterback at the time. So it was it was interesting talking to Coach Chris uh, before the game because they're like, hey, man, this, this guy we're really excited about. We're really looking forward to what he can do. And again, I don't, I don't know that he had the best game, um, but at, at the end of the day, that's all kind of irrelevant. That was just the start of everything. And, you know, I think he's really grown since then. And um, his, his experience should bode well for him now coming off of spring and then heading into training camp. I would expect him and Buckner to be the ones that probably gain the most ground on the whole situation between now and training camp. Brady, it's interesting you bring up Buckner because there's a lot of angst in the uh, fan base about what's going to happen with him. You know, he's, when you look at those three guys, I mean, he looks like the best athlete and he certainly was the highest, you know, recruited as far as the star rankings and all that stuff, but he only played one year of high school. My, my question to you is what's the best case scenario for him this year when you're thinking again about, not just the 2021 season, but beyond. What's the best best case scenario for his role? Look, I've always been a proponent of, you know, real game experience. And I think there's no substitution uh, for kind of sitting and watching. Uh, at least that, you know, you know, when we talked about with Ian Book, for example, like at some point he's got to go in there and play, and he's got to go in there and do it. And now it helps a little bit to have someone who's done it before, you know, go through their process of preparing and kind of showing you. And then you can go in and do it. So I think there's to some degree, you know, maybe a little bit of that, right? Whereas, you know, when someone has limited time starting in high school and then they come into a scenario where now you've got college defenses, they're going to be drastically different week to week, depending on what you do. And, and you've got an offense that might be a little bit evolving too, right? Um, and thinking about some of the things you want to do, especially considering we don't know what the offensive line is going to be like. I mean, you, you lose four starters off that group three of which, you know, get drafted in the first three rounds in the NFL draft. That's a huge loss. I mean, that is a gaping hole. Um, we haven't seen that since, I think, 2001 Michigan in the draft. So, um, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, really trying to figure out the offensive line, honestly, first. And I don't know that I'd want to throw a guy in there who doesn't have a ton of experience in the past and then into that scenario to begin a season, regardless of how talented he is. You know, I, I think you've got a guy in Jack Cohn or a guy in Drew Pine who is either have more experience or more time in the system, and they might be better off to start things off and, and, and be better off for the offense in general to start the year than throwing in a guy who's, who's never necessarily dealt with that before. Just following up, Brady, you came in, I believe, in, in your freshman year. It was about a, qu a quarter of the way through the season you started against Purdue. Right. What, what but, was, but I had played in every game, okay. right? Like, I played in our opener right. versus Washington State. You know, I played – versus Michigan in the fourth quarter. And then the, the next week I was really splitting reps with Carlisle Holiday against Michigan State. And then kind of the end of that, our last drive to put some points on the board, I think kind of was the, the, the momentum that ultimately, you know, changed things where they gave him the start. But, you know, that was one of the differences too is because of an injury in week one and then, you know, lack of, you know, play from him in week two, it kind of opened the door for all that. And, and I'm not saying that that scenario – could potentially be there. It's just the reality is, you know, you've got a kid who's really inexperienced coming in from this from the high school level to the college level. Um, and I also think the college level, it's easier now to, you know, put up stats, you know, put up these highlights and so forth of some of these spread offenses. And it's, you know, I, I think you see a lot of guys kind of get to college and then all of a sudden it's kind of a rude awakening because everything's ratcheted up a little bit, a bit more difficult. Things don't kind of work out the same way as, 
you know, as it was in high school, especially when you come from a good system or you come from, you know, a spread system where you're going to be able to put up a lot of stats, a lot of numbers. Brady, I'm, I'm curious if, say, Jack Cohn is the starter and does a good job and there isn't a lot of opportunities for Tyler Buckner to get on the field. Does Notre Dame need to create those opportunities to get him on the field if they think that maybe he's the starter next year or – do they like run a more advanced offense in late and blowout games just to make sure that he's prepared for next season? How, how do you think that should be handled? No, I mean, look, you're, you're trying to win here and now. And if, if Jack Cohen, you believe is the best guy then he's playing, man, unless it's a blowout scenario, I'm, I'm not just trying to work a guy to get on the field to get on the field, you know, unless, you know, I'm mistaken and, and Buckner runs a four, four forty or a four, three forty. And he adds a much more dynamic element to the offense running the football. No, I mean, he should be your guy who starts the season that if you feel that way about him, if you really feel like you need to get him on the field, you might as well get that started now then. And so I know like I'm kind of talking back over myself, but the reality is, you know, to me, I, I've never been a fan of two quarterback systems. I think if you've got a young guy that you feel like is going to be the future, just play him now. And then you're going to have to go through some growing pains and deal with that. Or you go with a guy like Jack Cohn or Drew Pine, whichever one you feel more confident in, you know, and, and let's see how things go. And, you know, if you get to a point where you feel like, okay, we're not potentially in the playoff or, you know, we, we feel like we need to make a change to, to get this guy some experience because we're at a point in the season where um, we just feel like we need a change at that position, then so be it. But uh, I, I've never been a proponent of that, you know. And I, so, again, if, I think if your thinking is he's so dynamic, we've got to get on the field some way, somehow, maybe you should rethink if you should start on the field in the first place, you know, <laughs> at the first snap of the game. Brady, I know that Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese are committed to making the offense more dynamic. They felt like they had to kind of play ball control last year uh, for various reasons to get into the playoff. Once they got in the playoff, it was difficult for them to compete because it was, it was kind of like a the family sedan going against NASCAR cars on offense. But if you were going to tweak their offense for, for this season – as they, as they are committed to doing, what are the elements that you think are really important? Well, I mean, again, it's schematic. You have to work to the strength of the talent on your roster. I think Tommy Reese did a great job doing that last year. You know, um, the hard thing is, is when you get down to people and you feel like, you know, if you look at Alabama, obviously no one was a good match for Alabama. All right. They were by far and away the best team, you know, in college football last year. They, um, you know, they had six guys drafted in the first round. That's tied for the most ever. You know, they had the Heisman Trophy winner, and that was not even a quarterback. It was a wide receiver, but they very well could have had, you know, their quarterback or maybe even their running back win it. They had the best offensive line in college football. So it's, it's a little bit overdone because they were, you know, and much like I would say um, LSU or Clemson, some of those, I mean, you're looking at a difference in, to me, the explosiveness of those offenses and then how it impacted the defense. Because once – you know, you get where you're trying to play in a shootout. Um, I just – I don't know that that was the strength of what Notre Dame was able to do last year. You know, I think the strength of the team was the O-line, the running attack, you know, Michael Mayer in particular. And then you could sprinkle in some other, you know, some other things around that, right? That was more the strength. A couple of years ago, you would have said it was a little bit different. You know, Chase Claypool really emerged as a go-to guy. So you had some more of that dynamic ability down the field. So, I mean, this year, again, it all depends on what the strengths are of the players that are on this roster. You know, whether it's – you know, Lindsey, if he's stepping up the wide receiver spot, Lawrence Keyes, who's got a lot of speed. Obviously, we know Mayer is going to have an impact on all of it. Um, you know, and who, whoever else emerges at the wide receiver spot, like that's going to be the biggest thing. But again, if you don't have time to drop back, whether it's a three-step drop from shotgun, a seven-step on play action, whatever the case may be, if your offensive line and your protection does give you time, you're not going to have big plays down the field. You're hoping that you can throw some screens, short passes, and it turns into a big play. And so that's why I kind of go back to what I said earlier. It really depends on what the soda line looks like. You've got one starter returning. Granted, you've got some guys who got a little bit of playing time, but um, you know, to me, it's it's 40 starters. So until you know what that group looks like, that group up front is largely going to dictate what you're capable of doing in the passing game or how dynamic this offense can really be. Brady, um, you know, Tommy Reese as a rookie offensive coordinator had to go against Brent Venables, had to match minds with Nick Saban and uh, I think he's got Jim Leonard on the schedule this year with Wisconsin. I I'm curious what your impressions are of him as an offensive coordinator and how quickly you think maybe his growth curve can be. No, I, I look, I think he does a tremendous job 
of, you know, trying to attack weaknesses or exploit weaknesses within their opponents, depending on, you know, what exactly that is. I think he does a great job working to the talent and, and the personnel in which he has. I think he can be multiple. I think you saw that a little bit in the spring game, them utilizing sport 10 personnel, um, four wide receivers, one, one running back. And, and so mixing some up things like that with your personnel, you don't have to have the most elaborate offense because if you're putting different personnel groupings on the field, you know, the defense has to put different personnel to match. And if they don't, you either have a mismatch either versus man or zone. And if they do, you know, obviously those guys coming in, they have to understand you can run the same play, but with a different personnel grouping, those guys not, might not be as good, you know, with, with their responsibilities within that defense. So um, I, I think he's got all of that. You know, he's, he's got a blend of, you know, college, but also NFL in regards to how he goes about attacking defenses. I really felt like his game plan versus Clemson was a lot better than anyone in the outside game credit. You know, the bottom line, and, and I always hate to be critical of quarterback play, but after going back and watching it, you know, Ian had to do a better job of anticipating. You know, that was where when you watch that game, in particular in the ACC championship game, you're going, he's got to pull the trigger. He's got, he's got to let go of the football. He's got to throw into that window before it's there. And that's probably the next step of his development at the next level. But that's what it requires when you play against some of the best. You know, you've got to be able to have the ability to throw the football with anticipation or and throw the football to a certain spot where either your guy gets it or no one does. And I think he was hesitant to do that. And so it probably made the offense look either less dynamic a little bit last year or in certain games um, or just not like it was really flowing. But again, you know, when you look at the other teams who've excelled, you know, whether it's the LSUs who two years wanted. Alabama last year and all that go back and watch the tape of how their quarterbacks play the game. They anticipate, they throw to windows, they're going to take a shot downfield. Uh, and, and they can't always be that conservative with the football. Now they've had as talented of a wide receiver group as it gets, but you know, regardless of, of what you have, you still have to understand what you have and how you can work to their strengths. When I was playing, I told wide receivers, were they going to outrun people? No, but I had to put a ball with high with some air to allow them to jump up and get it or use their body to kind of shield off the defender and go catch it. And when I had Matt Sheldon early in my career, that was a guy I could throw it downfield and let him go run and go get it. So you, you have to know your personnel and know how you play to it. Um, but, but that's, again, you know, going back to Tommy Reese, like he understands that. He gets that. And, and I think he did a great job of helping our offense be able to run the football effectively, have play action off of that, you know, playing to Ian's strengths and really allowing them to have a shot at playing for national championship. So I, I think he's going to do the same thing this year. But, again, it, I keep stressing this, but look at the best teams in college football. It's all still one in the trenches. I know we don't think that, but it still is. Brady, you, you mentioned the wide receiver position. That's a position that the fans have plenty of consternation with, especially after five-star wide receiver Jordan Johnson has uh, decided to transfer following his freshman year. And there's a lot of guys on the roster that have we've had high expectations for, but haven't necessarily met those yet and are getting later in their careers. And there's questions of, okay, why can't these guys have success earlier in their career? I'm curious from a, a quarterback standpoint, what, how does like a young receiver that's maybe not sharp on all of his details impact an offense and how much can that really uh, throw thing, throw a wrench in things when you're trying to, to, to work things as the quarterback? Well, I, I think one of the most difficult transitions for any player right now from high school to college can, can be at times the quarterback and then obviously even at times a wide receiver. Now, you could throw a lot of other positions into it, but and maybe even offensive linemen. But the reality is when you've got teams who are just running these spread systems and their wide receivers either on just one side of the field the whole, whole time, only running you know, a, a shortened or condensed route tree, that does not help them at the next level. It doesn't help them be more versatile in, in the type of routes they run. It doesn't help them be more balanced in being able to run routes, the same routes from both sides. I mean, this, I mean they do this at the college football level. You know, there'd be times we watching TCU back when they had Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie, and I'm watching one guy be on one side of the field the entire game, all the way on the outside, I'm thinking he's run four different routes, five different routes. You know, I, I would think his body's imbalanced because he's only taken right-hand turns to run an in-cut or a left-hand turn for a comeback which they very rarely ran. So, you know, th that's, that's the issue is I think you've got a lot of kids who come from a rudimentary system in high school and they come up to ND, which utilizes, again, more personnel groupings. I think Tommy's got a playbook that requires more from the wide receiver position. Uh, and to be quite honest with you, especially when you run the football as well as you do, like you got to be able to block. You, you actually have to be a little bit nasty. You have to be able to, you know, cover up some of those things. So I just think more is asked of those players. And that's, that's the thing is there's a mental transition too. 
And so if you look at the high school level, a lot of these kids are being rated based on their speed, their height, their size, what they run a 40 in, what their stats look like, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, that's great. But ultimately that doesn't always translate over into becoming something at the college football level. And so, especially when they're asked to do more, they're asked to read covered and say, if it's, if I do I have a cloud corner or do I have, is he playing press man to man? Is it, is it press and bail? Like, you know, how's that going to change my route? And, and what does my coach ask me to do? And am I going to be able to execute that? So there's, there's all those things that I think a wide receiver has now transitioning into college football. And I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like these kids just aren't as prepared for mentally or have a really hard time struggling early on to make that mental adjustment and add that to their game and then play as fast as what you saw on film in high school. Brady, if you were um, a member of the coaching staff and you were in charge of finding Notre Dame's next great quarterback and, and Trevor Lawrence wasn't available what are the qualities that you look for when you're searching for greatness in a 17, 18 year old kid? What's, what's the tip off to you that that kid has potential to be great? Well, I mean, the first thing is you're always going to check off your kind of basics, you know, playing from the pocket and that's going to be, he's got to be accurate. He's got to be a good decision maker. I think you can see that on film, you know, with the way a, obviously the kid throws the football, but ball placement, things like that. Um, is he, is he putting it in harm's way? Is he throwing the football that allows his receiver to make a play, but not the defender, um, or allows him to make yards after the catch, you know, so those things are, you're able to see accuracy. You're able to see decision-making from just watching tape on them. You know, again, I've got a little different perspective because once you play at the NFL level, then you kind of see everything through that vantage point. And so you look for pocket movement. Like that was one of the things that honestly impressed me so much about Ian back in high school. I remember watching him when he first signed on. And when I'd go up to Notre Dame asking the coaching staff about him when he still wasn't necessarily getting a shot, because I remember watching him saying, this kid's got great feet. He works the pocket well. He's athletic enough. He seems accurate. And so it was always, I was always curious to see like when he would get that moment or shot, because I think his, his game can translate over to even at the higher level. Um, but, you know, past that, you know, look, you, you've got to have the arm. I mean, I, I think if, if you're lacking in anticipation, arm strength makes up for it. Right. You know, I played in the NFL with a guy named Derek Anderson. He had an absolute hose. Now, he didn't anticipate well, but he would be able to make up for it because of the type of ball he could always throw into a tight window. Um, now, nowadays game, I, I think you've got to have some mobility to you. You know, you've got to be able to good athlete and be able to, to, to create plays a little bit because a lot of these systems now, they don't require you to make change at the line of scrimmage and audible and have a ton of checks. And so in lieu of that, you've got to be able to be mobile. You know, you've got to have a guy who's going to be able to take off on third down or run a zone read every once in a while and just be able to pick you up a first down or pick you up positive gains. Uh, and so, and if you don't have that, you've got to really be able to move within the pocket to throw. So I, I, would, I would start off with like those few things, kind of accuracy, good decision-making, obviously a sense of mobility. I mean, the one thing I love to see too, and I always look for it is, you know, toughness. I want to see a kid that I, I could care less about a seven on seven highlights. I could care less about what he looks like throwing from a pocket where it's clean. I want to see him take a shot. I mean, literally deliver a throw, take a big time hit and get back up and then go do it again. The next play, you know, I, th that's what I want to see. If I want to see him, see, him, see some of that toughness. I want to see what he looks like with a minute and 30 seconds left on the clock. And if he can lead his team back on a two minute drive and how he goes about doing it. So th those are just a, a number of things that I would kind of be looking for when I'm scouting out some of these guys. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, do, do you care about height and all that kind of stuff? Not really, you know, because I think so much of the game is played in shotgun now. Um, I mean, ideally, you're going to have a hard time seeing throwing lanes with as big as Notre Dame's offensive linemen are if you're not six foot two plus or six foot three plus. But that's not necessarily a prerequisite. You know, I think you can still be a, a shorter quarterback and you can find throwing lanes, and you can find pockets to throw the football. Brady, last thing from me here is uh, where can people hear and see you during the offseason, and how many Olympic gymnasts do we have in the household now? <laughs> uh, I'm going to work backwards then. So I've got three little girls, Sloan, Tegan, and Cassidy. Uh, Sloan is almost five. Tegan's almost three, and Cassidy – is, uh, is, is about 14, 15 months. She's almost there at 15 months. So uh, I have no idea in regards to how many gymnasts right now. Um, it, it's, it's a little too tough to tell. We're trying to just give them, uh, get them into a little bit of everything and see what they like. Uh, but that, but that's, that's, that kind of answers the next question, the first question you had, which is really can't find me much in the off season because um, outside of doing a little bit serious XM NFL radio, 
Uh, I'll do some digital work for CBS Sports HQ. But Fox, our Fox Sports uh, college football pregame show doesn't start up till, you know, really August. Um, and then, you know, I'll call some NFL games or some college games here and there. But all that stuff kind of waits for the fall. So this is more of the downtime for me. It's an opportunity to work more heavily with my foundation and some of our fundraising events, and some of our projects. And then I'm, I'm actually going back to get my MBA. I've been taking a part-time program at Babson College, which is right in Wellesley, Mass., which is kind of near where my wife is from. So ideally, we were hoping to go up in the summer times. I would take courses in person, and then we'd stay and visit with our family. But unfortunately, due to COVID, it hasn't really worked out that way. Uh, most things have been either online or some sort of blended format. So um, that's the other thing is I'm, I'm trying to get my MBA. I've got uh, four courses this summer that I'm taking, and I'll be about halfway done at that point. So that's, that, that's what I'll be up to. Cool. Well, Brady, that's all we have for you. Uh, we appreciate you joining us once again. Uh, enjoy your time off, though. It sounds like your time off is very busy, so you have plenty of things to do before the football season gets started. Um, but we, uh, we're always happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and like always, go Irish. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Eric played the role of dealer this week with the prop bet. So, Eric, do you want to present them and offer them to me so I can maybe answer them first? Okay, I'd be happy to read the questions. And we're going to start with the first one. No fewer than 30 uncommitted 2022 prospects have official visits scheduled to Notre Dame in a three-week span in June. Over under eight verbals come out of that before the end of July. And we're also counting kids that might commit between now and then that are on that visitor list. Um, yeah, I, I think if we're talking just 2022 class, I'll, I'll take the under. I, I think Notre Dame will get a handful by the end of July that are already leaning towards Notre Dame. But I think a lot of the guys that are still maybe more open will try to visit other schools, uh, given that they haven't been able to visit schools in so long. Um, and so that's at least what I'm anticipating. Maybe, maybe kids will – be easier. It'll be easier to woo them since they haven't been able to see anything else, and they'll be antsy to commit somewhere. But I'm I'm anticipating kids, uh, at least a good amount of kids, like wanting to wait things out and visit some other places, and, and, and that would include game visits, which obviously they won't be able to do till September. So I think there will be a number of those guys that will wait. So I will take the under for uh, un, over under eight. I actually, with a lot of these questions, made this really difficult on myself and picked the number that I. Had. I thought, and then made that the over-under number. I think it's going to be around eight. I'll go over. I think um, a couple things. A lot of these kids are going to be visiting multiple places. They kind of know they're finalists, so they're going to try to hit them all in June. And I think they want it, a lot of them want it out of the way before the season starts. I also think there's competition for spots, especially among linebackers and a few other spots. And I think kids are going to be eager to Take those spots. And Notre Dame is going to turn turn away top 150 linebackers in this class. So I'm going over. Okay, the next question, and this is difficult because we don't know where he's headed yet, but over under 20 receptions for Jordan Johnson at his new school in 2021. Yeah, it, I think it certainly will depend heavily on where he ends up. Uh, I, I'm going to go with under – Going by going off the assumption, and it's truly an assumption. I have no idea um, that he goes that he's going to sort of aim high for his next school. I don't think he's going to go to a place where he's going to be able to go in and be the number one receiver right away. I think he's going. I think he has confidence in his ability and is going to go to a school, whether that's another SEC school or another Big Ten school. Now, certainly there could be SEC schools or Big Ten schools where he could go in and become the 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 number one receiver right away, but. I, I'm, I'm going to go under. I think that's just a lot to ask, especially with him. He's not going to have plates through the spring with them. He'll be joining in the summer. Um, and uh, and who knows how soon he'll make that decision. So I, I'm going to go under for the 2021 season. I, I see it like you do. I mean, I think he – and we've never really – since he's been at Notre Dame, I mean, we never got a chance to interview him. Um, and quite frankly, that he didn't do anything – on the field that really prompted that opportunity. Right. But I think his five-star status, I, I think some kids get married to that. And I think he's a guy that is, that he feels like 
you know, Alabama and these other schools were after me as a high school kid. I'm going to look for those kind of programs. Uh, but I think some of the things that kept him off the field at Notre Dame are going to slow him at the new place. And, and again, if he's going to a place like Alabama and, you know, these top programs, they're going to have really good receivers already. Uh, they're going to be looking at Jordan as a guy, you know, kind of coming up. So I'm also going to go under. Okay, now this isn't an over-under. This is just an uh, open essay question. <laughs> who will be the June arrival among the yet-to-be-enrolled freshmen who creates the most buzz in August training camp? Well, if if I go by my personal rankings, the, the person I had at the top of the class was Prince Colley. Um, and then in terms of guys that weren't already on campus, the next one I had my list at number four was Deion Colsey. Um, I think Colsey probably has a better opportunity at playing time, but I'll stick with Kali. I just think he's a really good athlete and he's going to be able to do some things at linebacker, even, even as an early or not an early enrolled, but even as a freshman in, in freshman camp to do some things to stand out. I don't know that that's going to translate into the season because I think Notre Dame likes where it's at with his linebackers, but I think he's going to do some things that'll catch people's eyes in August. I wrote down four names and you mentioned a couple of them, Colsey, Kali, I wrote down Kari G, and I wrote down Chance Tucker. I, I would probably have – I think Colsey's going to get more of an opportunity now that Jordan Johnson isn't on the roster. Right. Not that they necessarily would have played the same position, but Colsey's got a different skill set. He's, he's taller than every other receiver on the team. Notre Dame doesn't have a lot of guys with his size. So I, I, I think there's some opportunities there for him. But I'm going to go with Kari G just because Notre Dame is really going to give him an opportunity to be in those top four safeties. Um, and if he is able to do that, then we're going to be talking about him a lot. Uh, so that that's my guess there. But I'm probably going to be wrong on there. And I love Prince <laughs> Colley. It, it pains me not to say him. Yeah, I, I'm so uh, like. I, Justin Walters had a way better spring than I would have anticipated. So I, I don't know if that's an obstacle for Kari G. Yeah. Um, but I, he, he seemed, I mean, in the clips that we saw, and then, then again in the blue gold game, he intercepted a pass. So he was making plays at, from that safety spot. So I think, I think they really like what he did there. So that may be a barrier there for Kari G, but I, I do I do really want to see what Kari G looks like in this defense. And I just like saying Kari G because it sounds like Cardi B. <laughs> okay. Over under one, the number of additional grad transfers to the 2021 Irish roster. Yeah, you you are good at making this really difficult by not putting halves for the numbers. So we don't have we. There's a lot of push opportunities for your for your uh, for your prop bets here. I, I don't think I would be necessarily surprised if there weren't any, but I don't think I can predict that yet. So I'll take the over. I think the safety position, the wide receiver position, would be probably the two that, in my opinion, would be the most likely that Notre Dame would would consider adding a, a grad transfer at right now. Yeah, I, I. it sounds like I thought cornerback would be it. I think they have the numbers there, and I also think they saw enough from a Ramon Henderson and Cam Hart in the spring that they kind of like where that position is going. And I think Chance Tucker uh, could get involved too. I think he's good enough, and he just played in the spring in California, so he's just coming off his season. Um, I think Dylan Gibbons' decision – uh, on Thursday to transfer might have them look at an experienced guy to be a backup center maybe. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go over on that one. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good one. I, to, I, I don't know. Like, well, I don't know what the, tr the transfer market looks for backup centers. Like it, 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 does someone want to come in and be the backup center at Notre Dame? Um, I would think that could be a cool opportunity for some guys, but I think a lot of those guys want to play when they're grad transferring. So I think it, Maybe a difficult ask. I think they do too, and and you're not necessarily guaranteed if something happens to Zeke Carell that you would be the long term answer at starting center. They may move Patterson and then move somebody up right. to a starting role. So, but there may be an FCS kid that's really good that's experienced sure. that might just say, "Hey, I want to play at Notre Dame for my last year." Um, okay. The next one is among Notre Dame's combined 14 draftees and rookie free agents, so it's nine and five, over under 10 make at least a practice squad. 
I'm going to go over. I think the nine drafted will make it, um, though I think we need to see if Ben Skronik can stay healthy. Unfortunately, that sort of nagged the, the back end of his football career in college. Um, but I so but I'd bet at least two of the undrafted guys make a practice squad. I, I my leading candidates would probably be Nick McLeod and Tommy Kramer. Um, certainly, the, with uh, three of the five going to Detroit, that's kind of interesting. Uh, that there's so many uh, Notre Dame guys up there joining the Aquara brothers and and Jalen Elliott and then Scott Daly, the former Notre Dame long snapper, got got asked to uh, to get an opportunity with the Lions as well. So it's uh, become Notre Dame. Uh, Michigan's version of Notre Dame up there, but uh, so I'll, I'll take the I'll take the over. I, I think uh, e- even the guys that I didn't mention, I think they they have decent chance to, chances to at least make the press practice squad. Yeah, with the practice squad, I'm I'm confident to go over. And I, you know, Skoranek was kind of the guy. I thought, well, you know, he's a seventh rounder, but he's also so different than probably any wide receiver that's on their roster. Um, I don't know how well he would translate to NFL special teams, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I also like Kramer and McLeod as the two guys most likely to make it. Boy, I'd love to see Sean Crawford make it. I just don't know if if his body's going to hold up, but the guy deserves it after all he's been through with his injuries. Yeah, and I think when it comes to practice squad, I think sort of mentality and willingness to accept your role, I think, plays a big part of that too. And I think – those guys like Sean Crawford, Brock Wright, and Javon McKinley, I think those are all guys that are willing to do that. So I think um, that would should increase their chances to stick on, on a practice squad. Okay. Uh, we have over under Notre Dame, I guess higher lower, is number 10 in the AP preseason poll. Um, you're smarter than this than me because you are an APC, AP voter. Um, I, I, I think – Voters will have some hesitations because of the loss of Ian Book and the loss on the offensive line. So I'm, I think they'll keep the Irish out of the top 10, which I think is probably right. Um, so I will go over 10 um, for the preseason poll. I think that uh, Notre Dame is going to get a bounce from being in the playoff that maybe they don't deserve with this team. I don't know where I would put them right now. I probably would put them outside the top 10, maybe at 12. Uh, I need to see, again, I don't think they hit any dead ends in spring, but there are a lot of things that I need to see improve. Um, and, and I also am a little bit leery of that October stretch of games that, that includes Wisconsin, Cincinnati, North Carolina, and USC. Um, but I think, I think my, cohorts are going to overrate them and so i'm going to go there higher than 10 in the ap preseason poll all right and our last bet is first post-pandemic taco bar at the south bend tribune before or after august 15th well we'll have to close betting to the public on this since we can actually control the outcome of this bet but i'll predict before because if we're going to do one it's probably going to be before preseason camp gets going. Um, but the real answer is whatever you say, because uh, you're the one that usually makes them happen. <laughs> I'm going to say before August 15th, we've got a lot of um, vacations to dodge around and it's just not the same if we're not all there. Um, and I think, I don't even know that you can, I think we're kind of at the edge of whether you can safely put on something like that where food's sitting out and people are touching the same utensils. Right. I think by the time we get to August, that's going to be a reality. Um, and I think we're going to be very eager because it's been years now since we've had one. Carter Carl's never had one during his time at the Tribune. So we're way overdue. So I'm going to say before. Yeah. So and wraps I, it up with, for place your bets. And I think Carter's going to get up here for that taco bar. Probably. He, I think – so I, I still have his car at my apartment. I'm watching his car. He didn't want to drive it back down to Texas. Um, and so I, the back of my mind says he's leaving that car here. So he has an excuse to come up here for our next taco bar. So I think it, when we ever, whenever we had that taco bar, Carter's going to do his best to be here for it. All right. Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right. Let's go.
You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First question I have for us, Eric, is from Christian Bogan at C underscore Bogan 1989. Tyler Buckner looked good in the blue and gold game. What are your expectations for him this year? Cone should start, but will the other QBs get meaningful snaps or possibly start any games? Well, I think the only way they probably start other games is if somebody, if Jack Cohn gets hurt. Right. Um, now, how much will they play in games? I mean, if you're investing in Jack Cohn, especially at the beginning of the season, and again, given that you're going to face the two best defenses, that's Wisconsin and Cincinnati in October, I don't think those guys are going to play a lot except for mop-up duty in that first part of the season. Now, if you get through the October stretch and you're undefeated, I think that you're going to try to play Cone as much as you can to try to get ready for the playoff. If if Notre Dame has a couple of nicks, they've lost a couple of times, then I think you'll see maybe the younger quarterbacks a little bit more, not as starters, but just playing more. And, and there could be a Tyler Buckner package. Brian Kelly said, He's open to that, although that wasn't his suggestion. That was me asking him about it. <laughs> yeah, and that's that is an important context. Uh I think like especially with the package like that, certainly they did something like that with Ian Book when Brandon Woodbush was the starter, but they also knew what Brandon could do in their offense because he was the starter of the year before. So I think it's harder to take some of that time away from Jack Cohn when you're trying to get a sense for what he can do for you in your offense. Um, so I, I I think they would stray away from that. Um, I thought Tyler Buckner showed some nice things in the spring game. He also was in the most advantageous position with being in a live jersey and playing against some walk-ons late in the game. But I think he'll be a backup. And to me, this the playing time for those backups is more dependent on Jack Cohn than it is on anything else. It depends on how Jack, how well Jack Cohn plays and if Jack Cohn stays healthy. Um, so I, I think I, I don't know that those guys are going to be able to do much to like take anything away from Jack Cohn unless Jack Cohn sort of takes it away from himself and sort of fails in the opportunities that he has. So I think that's, that's kind of how I saw things going into the blue goal game. And even though Tyler had the, probably the best blue goal game of that bunch, I don't know that that necessarily changed my mind. Next question we have is from Michael Kenny at Domer seven, four, seven, who will be this year's breakout star on offense and defense. Someone who isn't currently thought of as one, but will be at the end of the 2021 season. That's hard because um, it's just defining who I'm allowed to pick from. Hey, um, we do we do it every year for our magazine and special section. So. Well, I, and and I, I think I'm getting very Tom Noe esque here. I mean, I want to say Kevin Austin because based on his stats and his health, he would truly be a breakout player. Right. And I think he's a top five roster player, but there is the anticipation that he's going to be really good. So I'm going to go with my breakout player as Blake Fisher. And I realize he's at the top of the depth chart now, but I think he's going to stay at the top chart, top of the depth chart and he's going to maul people. And it's going to be, he's going to have some highlights that are Quentin Nelson esque at times. He's also going to have some growing pains, but yeah. he's going to run over people, and we're going to want to watch that on Twitter. What about defense? And then on defense, I I looked at Kaiser, Botello, and Hart. I don't know if if any if any of them played too much. I mean, Botello Botello didn't play defense last year. He played special teams. Kaiser didn't get a lot of opportunities in Cam Hart. So out of those, I'm going to go with Jordan Bortello. I'm he's, I'm pushing my chips in on him. Yeah. I, the, the star thing is that like, uh, does Avery Davis count? I don't, he wasn't a star last year. I mean, he, he proved yeah. his, he proved his ability last year. Um, I, re, I mean, the more I see of the offense, I, I just think that he's going to really have a very important role. Um, it could end up being, I mean, he may even end up being the leading receiver of the wide receiver group when all things are said and done, the other up, op- <laughs> the other option is Lawrence keys, who I feel like I've said it would have a breakout season in years past. It's I feel like we get, so I, at least I get sort of stuck in like, well, he didn't have a breakout season yet, but I still think he's going to break out. And uh, so like, 
I, I, I named Isaiah Foskey. I would, did he already, I mean, he wasn't a star last year, but he had, he had star moments, I suppose, but most of yeah, those were I think he's early in the year. Player. So um, I, I like Jack Kaiser as well. So those would be the guys on offense and defense that, that really stood out to me. Next question is we have is from case at Irish case zero five with how well the Irish are recruiting linemen. Is it a good surprise that two true freshmen are competing for starting positions or is it disappointing? I think it's a good thing because I think Tosh Baker is outstanding. And I think a lot of these guys that aren't in the starting lineup right now, like Andrew Christophic, I think there are other eras at Notre Dame where those guys would easily be starters. I think these freshmen really earned it. You know, initially they were going to get more reps than they deserve because that's what Brian Kelly wanted to do with all the early enrollees. But then once they got up to the top of the depth chart, I mean, they started as the twos, Rocco and, and Blake, but, but then they worked their way up to number one. And, uh, and I think it's absolutely earned. Now that doesn't necessarily mean a smooth offense of offensive operation, but I think that there's a lot of talent on this team. Yeah, I, I think it's it's more um, it's more good than disappointing, and I think some of it has. I mean, there's the content. Like Harry Heastan was a good good to great recruiter for Notre Dame, but his final class in 2018 was below the, that standard with John Dirksen and Cole Mabry in that group. Those were guys that I don't that that weren't that highly rated. Um, the latter of whom, Cole Mabry, is not no longer playing. He's still with the team, but he had a medical issue. Luke Jones also transferred from that class. Jared Patterson's the best from that class. And that was a guy that Jeff Quinn closed on. Um, so it's disappointing that you might, that you're not getting any, you might not get anything out of the 2019 class beyond Zeke Carell. I, I thought Quinn Carroll and Andrew Christophic would have a chance that didn't necessarily seem to be the case this spring with how things have played out that they're kind of on the outside looking in. And then Tosh Baker in the 2020 class is a guy I still have high hopes for, um, but he was always going to need some time to develop. And it, it seems like maybe Blake Fisher is more prepared um, to play right away than, than Tosh was. So um, Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler have certainly earned those roles um, and have beat out. I, I guess it's too early to say that they beat, beat them out, but they have put themselves in a position to beat them out because of the way they play, not because the other guys just aren't talented. Those guys will, could play um, in many other areas at, at Notre Dame and probably at other schools too, if they, didn't want to, to stay at Notre Dame. Next question we have from at ND Jeff zero six, a little bit of a long one here. Should Brian Kelly have taken a play from Charlie Weiss and told Jordan Johnson to play before each snap, if he was ready to play athletically, seems like the coaches weren't willing to adjust with the talent. I get Jordan Johnson is responsible for his classes, but it felt like he could have helped the wide receiver unit based on the comments that both Brian Kelly and Ian book made about Jordan Johnson's athletic ability. If Jordan Johnson can alter the scheme of defenses in the big game, you have to feel like that is a letdown by the coaches to not help the team. I get the life lesson, but that was a playoff team without a top wide receiver unit. You know, when I look at Jordan Johnson and I, I didn't get to see, none of us got to see very much of him. So I really tried to talk to people that saw him and evaluated him. And I did that last night. That's actually going to be one of the questions in the inside recruiting thing is what did they lose in Jordan Johnson? And in my estimation, a healthy Braden Lindsay would have helped last year's offense more than a focused Jordan Johnson. I think uh, Jordan Johnson's potential is very good, but I think Lindsay's certainly a faster receiver. And I think that's a skill set that Notre Dame needed more than they needed a guy that was a really good kind of jack of all trades, master of none kind of guy. And that's how I kind of see Jordan Johnson. So I don't think, I certainly don't think they should have compromised when he wasn't doing the things off the field. You build a very strong culture. You start bending the rules because somebody's a five-star and the fans are clamoring for him. I think that's sending a bad message to your locker room. If, if Jordan were focused and and taking care of those things, then I would have said, yes, they they needed to try to get him on the field a little bit more. But I think Notre Dame was a 10 and two team with or without Jordan Johnson being at his best. Yeah, I. In re like. 
to get to the Charlie Weiss point, I wasn't covering Notre Dame at the time, so I didn't know this offhand when Charlie Weiss was talking about Golden Tate, but Golden Tate only caught six passes as a freshman. So um, I don't know what, whatever that, and maybe he was talking about what they did with him as a sophomore. I don't think he specified if that's what we did with him as a freshman or a sophomore. I think I had asked the question about young receivers and that's where he went with it. So I, I, I think we need to like pump the brakes on like, look what Charlie Weiss did with Golden Tate as a freshman, because that's that he didn't necessarily do a ton with him as a freshman. Right. Um, I, I can, I can back that up because I was covering the team. Evan Sharpley, who started several games and played a lot, was mad that Charlie didn't put Golden out there more as a freshman. Okay. So so beyond that, I'm not convinced that jo- that Notre Dame believed that Jordan was better than Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek last year. And I don't the, – the phrase that N.D. Jeff used was alter the scheme of the defense. I, I don't think that Jordan Johnson would have done that. So I think we need to sort of pump the brakes there, I think. Even though he was ranked as a five-star, I don't know that he was ranked as a five-star because he was this freak athlete. They just thought he was a very good receiver, and it was one ranking that that listed him as a five-star. Rivals did that. Maybe they got the ranking wrong. I don't know. I think it's way too early to say that. Um, but they've gotten Midwest receivers wrong before. I mean, Micah Jones's career came and went at Notre Dame without much of a peep, and he was a top 200 overall re- receiver in his class, uh, according to Rivals. Um, and no one's upset that he didn't get on the field. Um, so I, maybe maybe it's a misevaluation. I think Notre Dame certainly liked him. That's why they pursued him. But his academic issues were real, um, and it may have prevented him from mentally preparing for football as much as he needed. I, I pointed out in my story the other day that it looked like they tried to throw a screen pass to him um, during the blue-gold blue game, and he was blocking instead of being ready to catch the pass. So um, I think that's – I mean, it's just one example we – Unfortunately, we haven't gotten to see him a lot with our own eyes, which I prefer to do. I'm going to make my own judgments. So um, I, I hope hopefully things work out for him as next destination. But I think there there can be a world where Jordan Johnson is six, more successful at his next stop than he was at Notre Dame and that Notre Dame made the right decision and not putting him out there when he wasn't prepared to play this past season. Next question is from Chris Chris Fleck at Chris Fleck one. Will Ian book find himself starting at some point this season in new Orleans? Taysom Hill is unproven and Jameis Winston is Jameis Winston. Well, gee, we asked uh, Brady Quinn that question. So I'm going to copy off of his paper. (laughs) Um, I think if something happens to Jameis Winston, he would get that opportunity. Um, Had I not heard Brady's answer, I would have not been as confident about saying that. Um, because I wasn't really sure. I don't follow the Saints. I don't follow the NFL because I work on Sundays as closely as Tyler does. I, I wasn't quite sure what they want to do with Taysom Hill. And that's kind of my uh, thought there. But I I think Ian will benefit from you know playing mop-up games and stuff like that. And then we'll see where he is in year two. That's kind of my thought. Even people who watch the NFL very closely, like myself, have no idea what the Saints want to do with Taysom Hill. Okay. It's okay. been a very perplexing situation with what they're doing there. If they think he could be the, the quarterback long term or not, um, so I, I'm going to go with no. I think between those two guys, Taysom and Jason, Jameis, that uh, those guys will get all the starts this season. I think. Um, I, I don't think. I think Ian Book will probably learn and be able to adapt and, and be prepared to play if he if needed, but I, I don't know that that's necessarily the ideal situation for the Saints, so I, I will predict no. Next question is from at Brett Kovach. Two questions. Do you think Ian Book has a better pro career than Brady Quinn and Jimmy Clausen had? And the second question, which Notre Dame player drafted after round two do you think will have the best NFL career? Um. Well, I'm glad Brady's not here to hear this. <laughs> you know, I I think he'll have a better career than Jimmy Clausen did because Jimmy Clausen didn't really have much of a career. Um, Brady had some moments, and I think, you know, Charlie Weiss had brought up the holdout, and, and Brady also got – I think he broke a finger at a really inopportune time when things were just about to open up for him. I actually went over to Cleveland and watched – I think it was his – his first start. And uh, I think, again, a lot of times your career would be different if you landed in a different spot. Um, And uh, 
I think Ian Book is in a good spot. I just it's hard for me to picture him having a better career than Brady Quinn had as a college player. I, I think I, I think Brady's the better quarterback. Um, but I think that there's not this body of work in the pros for Brady that's going to make it difficult for Ian to leap over. So I guess I would say, yeah, I think Ian is going to. But I, I definitely think Brady's the better quarterback of those two. I'd take him in a heartbeat, even though I really like Ian's game. Um, yeah, to, to me, I the, 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 the hair I want to split is does better equal longer for Ian Book? Because I, I think he'll probably have a longer career than those guys did um, because the expectations aren't as high. And I don't, I don't think like he's going to be expected to come in and start. And then if he doesn't do that, then he's sort of an afterthought. I think he'll have a, a good career as a backup quarterback, but I think that's where his career will likely stay. Um, and then the other question was who would be uh, – which of the post-round two guys would have the best career? My answer for that is Robert Hainsey. I think he's in the perfect spot. They don't need him to play right away. He can work on his versatility um, because it, it, it doesn't seem likely that he'll stay at offensive tackle in the NFL. Um, and uh, then I think he'll be successful when he get, when he gets his chance. So I, I will predict that Hainsey at the Buccaneers will have the best career of the post-round two draft picks from Notre Dame. Yeah, I think both defensive ends have a chance to be better in the pros than they were in college for different reasons. Dalen maybe because of health and Ade because of Ade just continues to grow. And uh, But I'm going to go with Tommy Tremble because I think he's going to just be an incredible blocker and he's going to pick up the receiving part of being a tight end. And you're, you're still spurned that I won the prop bet predicting that Aaron Banks would be be drafted before him. I don't even remember that. That's a, just a <laughs> memory for me. Honestly, I don't remember. I, I was actually talking to my mom and sister last night, and they were asking me about the podcast format, and I said I have to come up with these prop bets. They go, well, who's better at it? And I go, I think probably me because Tyler never adds up the scores and <laughs> advertises it. <laughs> I, I – I have done some work this spring to to update those numbers. From from the past, we were always like incredibly close. I think you were slightly ahead. Um, I don't know what the. I think I had a lot to catch up on. I hadn't been keeping up with it, but um, this off season, I, I plan to to fully update those. And some some of the prop bets were like so far in the future that they don't right. necessarily have answers yet. But um, I, I will uh, I will get us an update on that. Um, I, but I think. You're gonna you're gonna remember these prop bets that we you made today, and you're gonna you're gonna be like, well, I, I put the thought into coming up with those prop bets, so I'll remember the results of those better. All right, we got a couple more questions from Twitter. Uh, next one's at Irish Fan One Zero Two. What's with the billboards of players across the country? Does this relate to name and likeness, or was there a different motivation? Well, Tyler worked on the story, so I'll let him answer this question. Yeah, I, I posted a story this morning on IndianSider.com uh, covering this. The overall goal uh, was to benefit recruiting, no, no doubt. Notre Dame is targeting areas it has had recruiting success in and wants to have more success in. Um, and But by doing so, they were showing that they're willing to sort of elevate the players, the platforms of the players in the program. So, like, in St. Louis, the billboard shows Kyron Williams and says, I'm from St. Louis and I chose Notre Dame. And then there's also Gabe Rubio in St. Louis, and there's other other ones in throughout the country. Um, in Atlanta, there's one that has Kyle Hamilton on it, and they, they'll have the different players from that from that area on those billboards talking about that. Well, it it, this, it has the same phrase that I'm from this place, and I chose Notre Dame. They can't. I, there's some I think NCAA rules that prevents them from like specific about speaking about recruiting beyond sort of just basic facts of that. This is where I'm from, and I chose Notre Dame, um, but. I think they also include the Twitter accounts for those players on there. So I think it, it can it sort of elevate those guys' platforms on those social media accounts. And eventually, whenever the name and mention likeness legislation passes, the, those social media accounts can be leveraged to, to add revenue for those for those players. And so it's sort of keeping their word to the, the current players and, and sort of doing something cool for them, but then also showing recruits, hey, this is what we're willing to do. And this is sort of just the beginning because – the, the NLI situation isn't necessarily passed yet. So I, I think uh, it's a, it's a smart move. I think it's a, a cool idea. And um, there's, there's a number of different cities across the country that they've targeted places that you would, you would predict that they have recruiting success in. 
Um, and uh, I'm, I, it's I, it's not as much as like I don't know that they're relying on kids to be driving by these billboards and seeing them, but the kids are going to be aware that this is going on, um, and and, and just kind of showing the investment that Notre Dame has in its players to spend the money to do something like this. Next question is from Bert Leonard at Bert twenty eight thirty four. Nameplates are reserved for bowl games, but do you think Notre Dame might start using them for the spring game? It would be way easier to learn the newer names. I don't know that they're moving in that direction, but I think it's a good idea. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that especially as we get into next year's spring game and we would anticipate anybody be able to go to that game. Um, and I think that would be good for fans to know who the players are and easier to learn them. We had um, public address announcer kind of tryout day to succeed Mike Collin, and there's going to be more of that ongoing. but. Um, you know, I'm not sure that they had their best day in terms of identifying players and <laughs> doing the math um, on how many yards they got on a particular play. Well, so, yeah, be, put, put the nameplates on there. To be fair to the PA, the, our, our photographers had a little bit of struggles, too, with identifying <laughs> players, too. But we'll see if we, they had the names on the back. They would have <laughs> had it in your time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it's a decent idea. I don't know if it takes away from, like, the bowl game, it being like a special occasion to have your your name on the back of the jersey, and maybe maybe with the NLI thing, maybe that's something that they they see more power in and wanting to do that. Maybe that's something that, that's an easy easy win. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, Brian Kelly is certainly not one to be afraid to sort of break from tradition. So if he wants to do that, it'll happen. But I don't know that that's something that that. Well, and it may help Brian Kelly with learning the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll see that Houston Griffith says Griffith and not Griffin. Although I think the last time we, I think the last time we talked to him, he successfully said Griffith. So I was I was happy about that. All right, the last question we have is from our old pal Mike Farrell. At Mike Farrell, just wants to make me upset. Uh, why did he he being Tony Larusa? Make Lauri Garcia try to steal. And I'll let you answer that because you were watching the game. You're the one that's emotionally invested. <laughs> My team had a 114 hitter hitting number two. <laughs> Yours had a, a guy that's 112 managing the team. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh it's it's been disappointing. Some of the some of the concerns I had about Tony Rusa being the manager of the White Sox 10 years after he was last a manager have, have shown, shown up. And uh, it's all because Jerry Reinsdorf enabled Tony LaRusso to do whatever the heck he wants in the back half of his, his seventies. And uh, hopefully they get things figured out and he can learn uh, the rules about the runners that can, that are allowed in the extra innings at second base and how, how, how much time you have to challenge plays and all that good stuff that, that are required in the, common era or the modern era of uh, major league baseball. All right. That's it for today's episode of pot of gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. Uh, we'll be going back. We'll be backing off our, our weekly production of a podcast. So you'll be hearing less of us in the next few months, but we'll try to record a couple in May and June probably. So in the meantime, you can always get our information on ndinsider.com and stick with us for all your Notre Dame football offseason coverage needs. Mm-hmm.